Otherwise, on SAFM. Well, first on the lineup today, we're turning the spotlight onto a young woman. She's the editor and founder of the online magazine Vanguard. She's Panasha Chigumadzi. Vanguard is a rich source of content and debate. I'm sure you'll see if you visit their website, which is vanguardmagazine.co.za. And we're very happy to have her on the show today to talk about the November issue titled Talk the Talk. Hi, Panache. Hi, how are you, Ken? I'm very well. Welcome to the show. Thank you. All right, I think before we get into the November focus, maybe just for those who don't know, give us a bit of background on, on the online magazine, how it started, and I'm also kind of intrigued by the name. Sure. Uh, we're Vanguard magazine, and it was started um, really to address what we saw um, as a lack of or misrepresentation of um, young black women, particularly those who are coming of age in post-apartheid South Africa. So those, these are probably people who've either had the, the labels of born free, coconut, all kinds of things. Um, and this is a space where for these women who often have to move to a number of culturally diverse environments, be it from school um, to the home to the workplace, um, this is a space where they can they can switch. Um, but really, just speaking to what the experiences are, um, not so much to give the answers, but just more as a space to sort of um, explore and have the opportunity for us to have the space to engage where we are the default as young black women. Mm, so you want to cult a kind of conversation and, and spark debate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And who are your contributors? So we have a wide range of contributors. Um, if I really have to sit down <laughs> and think um, um, about them, um, mm-hmm. if you want me to name them. Uh, not uh, maybe just backgrounds. I mean, uh, sure, just, the kind of backgrounds. Mm. I mean, what we're looking at is um, definitely because we're speaking about young black women, it's, it's important that they get to speak about their experiences. Um, we get people who are students. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got students, we've got people who are mid-career professionals. Um, sometimes, you know, we might talk about sort of leadership um, advice. You might get someone who's an expert in that field. You might get entrepreneurs speaking. So it really is a wide range of experiences that we have um, that are represented here um, with Vanguard. Because I think the most important part here is that often we, as young black women, complain is that we're not all the same. Just because I'm black does not mean I have the same opinion as everybody else. So that's really important that we have a diversity of, of um, um, perspectives, and particularly with the columnists, for example, I never tell them what to write. They tell me, they dictate what is in, what is going on in their minds, what they want to speak to, um, and that's really important that they may get that diversity because we're not all the same. Mm. And you cover things like business, science, fashion, the whole spectrum of... Well, I wouldn't go as far as science, but okay. I, I think it's, it's a lot more just speaking to your everyday life, really. So, you know, we might speak about the fact that, right, you know, at at times we might look at fashion and say, right, how do you go shopping for a curvier woman? Might look at careers. What are the the difficulties that we might face as uh, women, as young black women, specifically in the workplace? Let's talk about dating. What are the challenges or the opportunities? What do we enjoy um, about working there as well? Okay. And why the name Vanguard? Um, I think the name Vanguard really was just to say um, we wanted something that didn't have enough or too much baggage on it, really. Something that was clean and really to say that this is a bit of a movement that we want to start um, in terms of just the critical thinking that we want people to um, start embarking on. Um, so really it was just to look at it as say, right, it's a movement, but I think it also sounds a bit fashionable to say Vanguard in mm-hmm. the same way that you might say Vogue and that sort of thing. So okay. it really was one of those names that you could sort of shape according to what the magazine and the content dictated okay you're the founder and you're the editor as well yeah um what made you what's your background and and when did you actually start the online magazine 
Sure. Um, my background is in, well, I actually studied accounting, funny enough. Huh. Um, <laughs> but subsequently to that, I worked at CNBC Africa. So TV journalism is where I sort of cut my teeth in, so, in terms of getting journalism done. Um, so with business journalism, I was a columnist for Forbes Women um, and Forbes Africa. Um, so that was really my experience within the media space. But I think it then came to a point where I thought, wow, I'm getting great experience. But it's really important that my experiences, me and my friends' experiences, um, are represented a lot more than they are right now. So that's really why um, that came to the fore, where we just felt that, look, we're not being represented well enough, so we're not going to wait and complain. Um, we need to be the ones to create the kind of stories that we want to see and read about ourselves. Mm. And why the online space? I think it's quite, you know, it's a bit of a debate when you think about uh, whether online radio is really going to work because people have sure. access to... Why the online space for you? I mean, look, there's one that's a very functional reason. It means that there's no time to sort of um, make excuses about, oh, I need 10 million rand worth of funding in order to start my business. It really is the saying, right? Um, the most important part is the content. So let's get it out there. So that was the one reason. But the second part is that just that consumption patterns of uh, content and media are changing quite a bit. So, I mean, for myself, with my friends, we often spend quite a bit of the day just sending each other emails. Did you see this article? You know, and then we have an entire conversation on an email thread. Want to be able to share as opposed to, you know, you have to pick up a magazine. Maybe you have to copy it or send a picture yes, of the article yeah. so someone can pick it up. So, you know, it's also just a very different way in with which we're engaging with content. And I think the online space is really exciting because um, it means we can do so much more with the content. I mean, for example, we've just shot a show called The Code Switch, and that's a available on YouTube, which is something you can't do, of course, in a magazine, right? So, you know, the fact that we can now produce our own content, um, not just the written text, we can have visuals, so like the show that we just shot. Um, we also have um, a podcast that we're about to start as well. So it just offers a whole lot more um, that we can do, and it's a lot more exciting, I think, than just sort of being able or being constricted to having the print version of mm. a magazine. It's a lot more dynamic, and there's a exactly. lot going on there, I must say. Yeah. Very, very <laughs> cool. All right, well, let's let's get back to, you say, you know, one of the most important things, obviously, is content. And for the November yes. theme, uh, it's Talk the Talk. Just walk us through that. Sure. I think it was really important um, that we wanted to delve into what it really means to talk. So, one, we were launching our talk show, so um, that was one aspect of it. But number two was also just let's actually really evaluate what we are talking about, how we're talking about different things, um, because we, uh, you know, we are a magazine that was created to have a lot more dialogue, but we wanted to really dissect. So, for example, one of the things that we look at um, with it is, number one, um, is talking enough. Um, you know, we like to, as a country, we love to have dialogues. Talk radio is a, is a very big medium. We love dialogues about the state of the country, the state of women, the state of the youth. But is that dialogue actually taking us forward or are we getting um, caught up in the talk? And then also the, the question that we had this week in this week's article, um, because we're weekly, um, this week's article was really just looking at if we're saying we're talking a lot or we're, we're having a lot of these conversations, who gets to actually have a voice? Yes, we have a lot of media freedom and press freedom and South Africa freedom of speech, but is it people like myself who have the right kind of accents, the right kind of politics, the right kind of, are we the only ones who are getting to have a voice in there? And I mean, I take my own privilege there and I say that, look, I know that many times it's very easy to call me and say, Panache, come and have a voice um, or come and have um, a, a, a space on this panel because, 
you know, you speak so well, as many young black women have been told or young black people have been told, you speak so well, you know, I think you'd be great to this panel. But sometimes I ask and I push back and I say, you know, surely you should be getting someone else. I might not be the best representative of young people or the specific group of people that you want to um, speak to. So really that's what we are looking at and saying, right, let's look a little bit deeper into the kind of conversations that we're having. Are they taking us forward or are we getting sort of caught up in a bubble and enjoying the sound of our own voices? Mm, so you're sort of turning the spotlight back onto to media as such and onto yourself Definitely. as well. It's, it's very important because, I mean, it's, it's, it's asking the question, who gets to make those decisions? We know that media in South Africa is very white male dominated and also middle class agendas also there. So middle class people, we love to talk to um, ourselves. You know, we'll talk about the state of the country, but often you'll find a panel of only middle class people. Um, and I think that's quite silly if we're being sincere about where the country is going. Um, at least let us be aware of the fact that fine, we're only getting one perspective as we are talking about these things. And it's not just, you know, having people in these conversations for the sake of it. It's also just there are consequences if we do not um, give each other the adequate space to have our um, to have our concerns voiced mm-hmm. um, or heard. Um, I think for me, some of the manifestations of that are when you find communities burning down um, a school or when they're throwing, you know, feces at a, at a politician because it's a sense of helplessness that your voices are not heard. Um, for many of us as a middle class, I think we, we often take for granted the fact that if I call into Radio 702 or call into SAFM today about an issue or pothole on my street, I'm going to get a minister or some sort of official calling in to say, right, we're going to fix it and that sort of thing. But if the same thing had to happen in an informal settlement, they had to call into community radio, I don't think the same kind of response uh, would be seen. Um, so I think we just need to really evaluate. When we say we're having some of these dialogues and which perspectives we're hearing, um, it's very important who gets to sit there and also who gets the, the opportunity to um, decide who gets onto those panels. Mm. So really what you're doing is you, you're, you're putting your opinion out there, you're, you're pulling out in certain contributors and what's going on mm-hmm. uh, in, in the wider sort of space in, in South Africa and, you, and you're asking yeah. people to engage. Yeah. Um, specifically now when you say you're speaking about uh, public discourse as well, yeah. what I'm intrigued about, it maybe it's a bit off course, but this mm-hmm. online space and people actually having conversations, commenting, mm-hmm. it often turns to be, it turns into kind of an aggressive um, conversation. Are you finding that with the way people are responding or are you actually finding that healthy debate is t- taking place on your online pa- platform? I think that if you only ever got positive responses, then maybe you're not doing, uh, you're not talking about the right things or it's not risky enough or, um, so of course you're going to get people who don't always agree with what we say. Um, in terms of trolling, um, you know, people who will then post the kind of, you know, media 20 or news 24, we know how notorious those comments are. I think it's also very important for publications, for media houses, media leaders to make those decisions to say, right, either we're going to have a really effective um, uh, policing system in terms of the or moderating system for those comments or we're just going to disable them. For ourselves, we actually find that um, it is better for us we moderate and we just allow the comments that we found, you know, offer a constructive view, whether they agree with us or not, but, you know, it's not going to be any sort of hate speech or vitriol because mm-hmm. I don't think that we're not here for dialogue for the sake of dialogue and talk for the sake of talking. We're here for um, conversation that moves us forward. So there's definitely a lot of great conversations. 
but I think there has to be some sort of um, gatekeeper role in some sense. So if people are trusting you enough to let their opinions um, or give their, their opinions and lay themselves bare, I think it's important for us to also then protect them and say, right, we will only allow constructive conversations within our space. Um, we're not here to allow people to then start, you know, all kinds of horrible comments mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. That doesn't take any um, conversation forward. So that's pretty much our stance in terms of things like commenting, um, people who, um, you know, really become personal in their, in their attacks and that sort of thing. We just do not allow it because we don't see how it takes the conversation forward. Yeah, you need to have a constructive debate in exactly. order for constructive action to be taken place. Exactly. Now, so just quickly, what's your December focus for people? Yeah. What's our December focus? Well, I think December is going to be quite exciting because we are looking at summer. Um, so we actually are releasing a digital anthology, which is called the 500 by Summer Anthology. So we start off with that. So Summer Reads by um, young black authors are going to read uh, or are going to write a number of stories for us, which is quite exciting. We also look at um, the concept of so-called traveling while black, what that means, what our various contributors' experiences have been, whether traveling in South Africa or or across the, the rest of the world. Um, so really a little bit of a lighter um, uh, issue, I suppose, because I think it's summer, we're getting to holiday mood. So we're quite excited to give people some content to read on the beach or, mm. you know, they're hiking, whatever it is that they're going to be doing um, for the Christmas season. Well, it sounds fabulous. I'll definitely keep my eyes out for that. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you, Kim. Thanks, Panache. That was editor and founder of the online magazine Vanguard. That's Panache Chigumadzi. And you can check out the magazine if it sounds interesting to you. There's podcasts and there's talk shows and all sorts of things going on around around what they're doing. And it's vanguardmagazine.co.za. That's vanguardmagazine.co.za. Otherwise, on SAFM. It's all about young people today on Otherwise, and a youth project geared at creating sustainable ways in which our young ones can have access to support and encouragement is Bright Stars. It's a child and youth uh, mentorship program run by a local NGO, the Peace Agency. And the program assists vulnerable children and at-risk youth who lack adequate adult role, role models and family support, and they really do fantastic work. We've got the National Program Manager, Ruth DeSantos, on the line to tell us all about it. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks so much for joining us today. That's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So Bright Stars, it falls under the NGO, the Peace Agency. Maybe you can just give us a bit of a background or the story of the, of the project. Absolutely. So our founder here at the Peace Agency, Justin Foxton, was actually participating in the Big Brother, Big Sister program um, when it was out here in South Africa in about 2009 and started mentoring a young boy of 16 um, who came from a very disadvantaged, poverty-stricken background, um, a real lack of just family input and support. And through his involvement with Paul, um, his mentee, he really came to see firsthand how phenomenal mentorship is. Um, and especially in the lives of, of the most vulnerable members of our society, which is obviously these kids. So unfortunately, Big Brother, Big Sister um, didn't stay open. And when they closed, Justin really felt that it would be necessary to continue on with such a program because it has such an impact on the youth. And so under the Peace Agency, which is his NGO, um, he then started the Big the Bright Stars program. Um, and that's just gone from strength to strength since 2011. Okay, and so how many kids do you have and how many mentors do you have at the moment? So currently we're 
active in KZN and opening now in Gauteng, which is obviously why we're doing all of this um, PR and recruitment drive. And here in KZN, we have about 45 mentors mentoring 45 individual children. Majority of those kids come from one particular facility, which is absolutely awesome because it means that we, we get to have not just an impact on each individual child, but also a massive impact on that facility itself. Mm. Okay, and also a, a, probably a massive impact on, on, on their family as well, those around them, because if that child is getting nourishment and support, then he or she takes that into his or her community or her school. So, okay, so how does it actually work? I mean, you've got this group of mentors. They've obviously had to go through a kind of screening process in order to become a mentor. Absolutely. So we're very strict on our screening process. What we do now during the recruitment drive is encourage people to come to the training and information session or day, which is being held now in Joburg on Saturday. And once they've come to that day and really learned in detail what mentorship is about, they then enter into the application and screening process, which involves them getting all sorts of criminal clearances, sexual offenders register clearances, and really telling us about their motivation for wanting to be involved in this program um, and how they feel they can really have an impact on the life of a child. And only once they've gone through that pretty onerous process do we then approve mentors to participate with our kids. Okay, and so once they've gone through that, they've been um, invited into the program, what's actually expected of a mentor? Because you, you work with one child, as I understand it, and then how long do you expect that mentorship relationship to, to last for as well? So our minimum commitment with our mentors is to spend one hour per week with a child for one year. Um, so we, we like the longevity of a one-year period, and it also people's flexibility to then decide to continue on with the program should they wish in one year. Okay, I see. And that, that one hour you can spend doing whatever it is that you'd like to do with your mentee? Yes, so again, our program's pretty flexible. So every mentor comes with their own personality, their own talents and strengths and interests and hobbies and things that they enjoy doing. And so it is with each child. So those children and mentors are matched according to their points of commonality. And during their hour, it's really all about building relationships. It's about finding out in what areas that child needs the most support, um, be it emotional, be it educational, be it just to assist that child in terms of looking to the future Future and preparing themselves with goals and, and future focuses. Um, so that's what the mentor will focus on during the hour. What we are looking to introduce next year is a slightly more structured program where we'll also be bringing in a child mentorship journal, um, which we'd like the mentors to use with their mentees in terms of really focusing on where they want to get to in their lives because that's really what mentorship is about making sure that these kids have futures and that they take every opportunity that they have to get to where they want to be. Mm. What, has you, what have you seen the effect to be on, on the kids that have been mentored up to now? Look, it's different for every child because every child is at a different point in their lives. And we also work across quite a broad spectrum of ages. So we'll work from, uh, with kids from as young as six all the way up to about 18, 19. So, you know, school leavers, et cetera. But what we do see happening is just children progressing in everyday areas and, and routine activities that sometimes they just don't have 
motivation, you know, to really engage in. So things like school, going to school regularly, doing their homework properly, really engaging in the education process. Um, some of the special needs kids that we work with who may have, you know, lifelong illnesses such as a- HIV, um, encouraging them to take their ALV medication consistently for their own health because they can start to see that there is actually a future out there for them um, and that their health plays a vital part in that. So we see mentors really bringing those things out of their children and ultimately bringing hope. Okay. Um, these children need to feel hope. They need to see that there is hope for their future and for their lives and to grasp hold of that hope. And so that's what we see in terms of the impact. Ruth, if people want to get involved, if they want to be a mentor, if they want more information, where can they go? Absolutely. So as I said, we're having our training day in Gauteng this Saturday, the 15th of November. That's going to be in Kempton Park at Plumbago Park. What I would recommend is that people please um, email our regional coordinator, Irene Schumann. They can email her on infogauteng at peaceagency.org.za in order to RSVP for that training or to express interest or make an inquiry. Alternatively, they can also go onto our website, which is www.peaceagency.org.za and learn more about Bright Stars there or even RSVP for the training. Fantastic. Ruth, thank you so much for sharing your work and best of luck for the future. I'm sure we'll have you back on to hear how it is all going. Wonderful, and thank you so much for the opportunity, Kim. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Ruth. Ruth is the National Program Manager, Ruth DeSantos. And to find out more information, it's thepeaceagency.org.za. That's thepeaceagency.org.za. Right now, it's 1.30, and it's time for the news headlines. Otherwise, on SAFM. You are indeed listening to Otherwise the Women's Show here on SAFM and I'm Kim Winter. And today we are showcasing youth-centered projects that are doing great things in order to support and develop our youngest citizens. And for the second half of the show, we'll be talking to two winners of the recent Inyatello Awards for Philanthropy. It's the Spread Love Movement, movement and then a youth activist, Samuel Nsanzwisi. He joins us a little bit later on. So the first project that we wanted to highlight is the Spread Love Movement. Doesn't that sound fabulous? It's a growing a dynamic non-profit company focused on providing effective career guidance to learners at under-resourced schools. Uh, they do workshops um, which are facilitated by actual working professionals, giving the kids first-hand advice and tips. So it really is fantastic work that they're doing. And we've got uh, Louise Mokunyane. She's the Chief Operating Officer of Spread Love Movement on the line. Hi, Louise. How are you, Kim? Excellent. How are you? Great. Thank you very much. Good. Well, I, just looking at, at, the, at the website, it seems that the Spread Love uh, movement is, is kind of run by a very dynamic group of young women. Maybe you can just give us an idea of how the movement started and who's involved and how it works. Um, well, we started out in 2009 by a bunch of high school and university friends as we went along. Um, and we found that there was a need for students who needed effective career guidance and what a better way to do it as as professionals who are in the line of work that they can get hands-on information regarding what it entails to be a lawyer, an events manager, an engineer or a marketing person and basically and that's how we've been going. Okay, so it's it's about giving the kids a kind of realistic idea of what is what is out there, the opportunities that are out there, because it's abundant, really. Correct, correct. Okay, so so where do you work? 
I work for an events management company okay. in Johannesburg. Okay. And and how many people are actually running the Spread Love movement? Just Currently, there is a, four, a group of four young directors, um, myself being the chief operating officer, Komoto Mokwena, who was the lady who received the award, the Enyatelo Award, who's our CEO, um, Mpo Mono, who is part of our marketing team, and then Leanne Kubis, who is our finance lady. Okay. And so with the with the, the kids that you get to, to work with, what kind of what kind of issues are you are you faced with in terms of these youngsters thinking about what they want to do when they're when they're grown up? Um, is it a confidence issue? Is it really not understanding what kind of careers are out there? You know, what are the issues that you have to grapple with with these youngsters? It's what kind of careers are out there and what subjects they need to do for what they want to be. Okay. Um, so a great majority you'll find want to be doing be involved in accounts but they're obviously doing the sciences and then you need to steer them in the right direction or that they're doing they are good at doing sciences but they're doing something on a economical basis so that's sort of what we find the challenge with the students um, that they're not 100% sure as to where they go and what subjects they need. Mm. So are the schools quite open um, to you coming in and, and running this kind of program? Yes, they are. The only challenge sometimes is because we're all working professionals, we do our career days on Saturdays and a great majority of them want us to come and be involved during the work during our working week during the week so yeah it does become a little bit of a challenge where it does come to that but most of them do offer saturday school so we sort of come after the saturday school program that some of the schools run ah i see okay and do you see a big difference between girls and boys in terms of what they would like to do when they're they're bigger do you sort of see a stereotypical kind of reaction to careers or do you see a shift in our young people i see i see a definite shift with, uh, with the young people these days um i mean many years ago a great majority of the engineers were m m mostly men um, now the girls are getting involved in becoming electrical engineers and civil engineers and doing the more, if mm. for lack of a better word, manly job. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, we're going to have to sort of change that sort of view of it, aren't we? The kind of more um, scientific, mathematical sure, kind of that, careers that kind are appealing of, to, yeah. to women. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's that's I suppose that's a shift that we have to make right through from from little to to through school and and after as well. It's you know it's the pink blue debate I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. So so it's all we, when you when you're discussing the career options with these kids, um, do you just give them an insight into the the kind of reality of what it's like to be in the working space? Do you also work with things like their confidence about who they are and about the work that they're doing? Um, currently at school well we um on some occasions we have one of our um volunteers who's a um like a, they do she does psychometric tests okay. um and she sort of gives them an idea as to this is your kind of personality perhaps you want to consider this type of career um, and in terms of the students asking us questions, we give them a, a, a sort of a basic idea of what we do, what our day-to-day -day involves, and then they give their, it's an interview process that they go through with us 
asking us questions of, you know, how okay. how does this work? What do you do? What did you study? And one of the, the biggest questions that we also get is, what is my salary going to be like? Aha. Uh-huh. Yes, that's very important. <laughs> so so how many Saturdays do you do this? And, and how can other people get involved? Do you take on volunteers? We definitely do. Um, you, you could get hold of us on the social networks, on Twitter, our handle is at SLM, SLM Guide, and on Facebook it's the Spread Love Movement. Alternatively, they could get hold of us on our email address, which is spreadlovemovement at gmail.com, and the love is L-U-V. Um, we try and do one Saturday a month, obviously bearing in mind the, the school holidays and the exam periods. For now, because of the end of year, we're looking to start our career guidance programs from January next year. Okay, and Louise, before I let you go, just a quick idea of your your successes. Have you seen any of the kids that you've worked with um, go through matric and onto onto studying and into their careers? Definitely, we have um, one pupil who is actually part of our volunteer who has joined us as volunteers as as, vol- as a volunteer. Um, Fezile, who's a first year medicine student, medicine student at WITS, and we also have a third year law student at WITS as well, Charlie, who's a really two great individuals who we've who've stayed with us throughout our program. Fantastic. That's brilliant news, and I'm sure there'll be many more to come. Louise, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Kim, for having me on your show. Cool. That's Louise Mokanyane. She's the Chief Operating Officer of Spread Love Movement. That's Spread Love L-U-V Movement, and you can get hold of them on Twitter. Uh, Their website is spreadlove.warzaonline.co.za. That's spreadlove.warzaonline.co.za. Well, last but certainly not least, the winner in the Iniatello Award for Philanthropy in Youth Development, uh, Samuel Insanwisi, he's joining us now to speak about his own journey as a youngster and the great, great work that he's been doing with young people. Hi, Samuel. I hear that you're there. Hi, good afternoon, Kim. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? I am very humbled to be speaking to you and be on SAFL. Well, it's fantastic to have you and congratulations on the award. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the work that you've been doing that you've been awarded for. Uh, I am the founder and director of Bansabashiwono, which is Youth with a Vision, based in Nkoanko of the Limpopo province. We help disadvantaged young people improve their lives and areas in which they reside. But more so last year as well, I ran from Cape Town to Nkoanko in 32 days. It was 1,850 kilometers. Uh, to raise awareness against the abuse of women and children. And SAFM actually supported me on that. That's fantastic. How did that go? That That's a long way to, to run, number one. Uh, and what's the responses been like? Uh, the actual journey was very successful because we arrived there and we arrived there on, on schedule. And mm-hmm. I can't say it was very nice, but it was a, it was worth it. It was a good cause. It was challenging. And in terms of fundraising, we... We did not achieve our targets. I mean, we made about uh, 100,000, but it was twofold. We we wanted to raise funds, but we also wanted to raise the awareness. And I think in terms of raising awareness, we got people talking. Why why did you want to run, Samuel? Why did you choose that to raise awareness and, and to raise funds? 
I believe that people only respond uh, to something once you do something that uh, is unthinkable. So by doing something that the normal man on the street would not wake up to do, or even professional athletes, it's not easy that they would run 70Ks a day for 32 days. So when you do something like that, people call you crazy, but it, it, it makes them attentive. They want to find out what's happening. So I believe, in my humble opinion, it got people's uh, attention. Yes, and so that kind of belief uh, and that kind of vision, I suppose, and, I, and also courage, is something you want to pass on to the South African youth? Oh, yes, definitely. One, one other major aspect of the run was to inspire young people to can believe in themselves and to know that there's nothing that's impossible as long as you set your mind to it. So we, we were inspiring South Africa's youth one kilometer at a time. Mm, absolutely, and I'm sure you did. So, so back home, you, you're running a youth center, as I understand it? Uh, at the moment, we're just running the project, but the aim okay. and the goal has always been to establish a youth uh, development center. That's what we're trying to raise funds for. At the moment, we just work from an office, but yes, we, 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 we do look after children. Okay, and the activities of that project, just give us a little bit of a understanding of what it is that you, you get up to. Uh, we've got educational programs whereby we have extra classes, we've got career guidance expos, and we also have sports activities and sports clubs where we have a basketball team, we have a soccer team. So it's, uh, it's, it's youth development across the board. But one of the biggest ones is the social development aspect where we support an orphanage and we also help other young people that uh, lead house. Um, it's child-headed families, basically, okay. Okay. where we, we are involved on a day-to-day basis. How many youth do you think that you are um, actually supporting and helping with your initiative at the moment? Uh, there are 27 schools attached to our center, which belong to the Nkongkwa circuit, and there's about 10,000 young people that we uh, that we, we support because through all our programs, and there's 30 young people that belong to an orphanage that we are directly involved with. So all in all, it's about uh, 10,500 through all our programs. Wow. So, Samuel, what are the challenges for the youth that you work with specifically? What, what do you find comes up and up again that they really are struggling with? Uh, abuse, especially amongst the girls, has been high because that also uh, goes hand in hand sometimes with the teenage pregnancy, the, the, the high rate, because some of these young people are actually abused into ending up falling pregnant and suicide is also a big problem especially in our area because almost every weekend we're burying a young person because of that and the the general drug abuse that's also going on but abuse is, is at the top of our list okay and are you getting the community support for what what you're doing with the youth uh the community support is there i i just wish that uh, government support would be slightly better than what it currently is because they do support in terms of being there in all our projects. But I know that in terms of access to funding, it's something that they are able to help with. And in our organization, our biggest hindrance now is finance. And all we are ever looking for is to build a youth center. Mm. Who, who are your other partners in the area that are funding uh, at the moment? We, we work with the Police Victim Empowerment Unit, 
We also work with an orphanage called Tlaisanane, Home of Love, because they just take care of children, but we do all the other programs for them in terms of educational, in terms of games, in terms of assisting to advise the young people. And, yeah, those are the main two organizations. And we also partner with the Department of Correctional Services in our uh, Against Abuse uh, project. Okay, all right. So there is some support there. But you are calling for a little bit more support, especially for, for funding as well. So how can people get in touch with you, Samuel? Uh, we, we have a website. It's www.vvx.co.za. And we also have a Facebook page. It's called Wansavashivona. Uh, yeah, Wansavashivona. Uh, should I spell it? Yes, maybe you should. Yeah, it's V-A-N-T... S H W A space V A space X I V O N O. It's youth with a vision and translated into English. Okay, youth with a vision. And just speaking about vision, Samuel, I believe that you've studied film and that film is also a part of the work that you do. Yes, and this year I'm I'm trying to get back into the television industry through my own company because previously I just used to work there, but in other companies. So yes, I I have a B Tech uh, degree in uh, video technology, and I also have a postgraduate diploma in film and television from that. Ah, okay. And just just quickly before I let you go, what kind of role do you think film has to play in South Africa? Why do you think it's important? Uh, I I believe film because some people. Uh, uh, see things through uh, a visual aspect. I mean, in life we've got different people. Some hear things uh, through music. And when people see things, uh, we are able to communicate things through the film media. So, especially currently now, in terms of youth development, when they see some of the things through the television program, we are able to communicate to them better because it's a medium which I believe that many people are accustomed to or which can transform lives when done very well. Mm. Samuel, I believe you're up to very good things and we look forward to hearing from you down the line. Best of luck with your work and thanks for joining us this afternoon. Oh, thank you very much, Kim, and thanks to SAFM as well for the opportunity. Thank you. Keep well. That's Samuel Insanwisi. He is with uh, the Youth with a Vision. You can visit their website, which is vx.co.za. That's vx.co.za. Or get in touch with us if you want any of the information on him. He's a fantastic young man doing fantastic good things. So uh, do keep in touch. We've got a Facebook page or it's otherwise at safm.co.za.